The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. I'm going to have you uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be starting there at verse 15. And while you're turning there, I'd just like to wish everyone a happy new year. Uh, of course, it's that time again when people plan for the future and commit to various goals and resolve to break all of their bad habits. Uh, I was speaking to uh, Carla, I don't know, maybe last week or something like that, and I told her that my New Year's resolution this year was to be more organized uh, in fact, that's been my resolution for the past eight years. So we'll see how that one goes. Uh, you know, I was reading an article online the other day, and according to this article, the top three New Year's resolutions were losing weight, quitting some form of a bad habit, and spending less money. However, there was a fourth resolution that uh, sort of sparked my interest, and the fourth resolution in this article uh, had to do with being a better person in some way. And when it comes to striving to be a better person, the human's heart's uh, desire to make resolutions is, in a sense, its recognition, um, I think, of the need for change. Of course, I trust that we in this room tonight, we understand that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can truly bring about that kind of change in our lives. Now, there's nothing wrong with being resolved to be healthier, um, to be a better steward when it comes to our possessions or our finances, or even to be more organized. But as Christians, there should be a greater concern about our commitments to the way that we live our lives in, in light of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul would call this our walk. And uh, if you notice there on your listening sheet, it says the, walk, the word walks on there about 50 times. So our walk simply means, it simply means how we live our lives or the manner in which we live our lives. And up to this point in the letter to the Ephesian church, Paul has already made mention of our walk six times. How we live our lives was a major concern for Paul and it should be for us as well. In uh, chapter 2, verse 2, he tells us that in the past we walked according to the course of this world. This, of course, is where most of the world's walk is at today. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 10, he tells us that as believers, we are his workmanship, created in Christ to walk in good works. Uh, in chapter 4, verse 1, Paul tells us that we are to walk worthy of the vocation to which we are called. In chapter 4, verse 17, he tells us to, uh, to not walk as the other Gentiles walk. Um, the believers walk, it should uh, look drastically and dramatically different than that of the world. Chapter 5, verse 2, he tells us, walk in love, as Christ hath also loved us. Chapter 5, verse 8, he tells us to walk as children of light, not as children of darkness, like we did before we came to know Christ. And finally, here in verse 15 of chapter 5, Paul tells us to walk not as fools, but to walk wisely. And this is where we're going to be spending our time this evening, how to walk more wisely in this coming year. So let's look there, verse 15. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, 
redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to be in your house tonight. We thank you for your word. Help us to open up our hearts to it. Help us to leave here and apply it to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, uh, here in our text, Paul tells us just how to walk in wisdom. And I think we can pick out several actions here that we as believers can really be more committed to in this upcoming year. And if you're behind on the whole New Year's resolution thing, I was going to go around the room and make everybody say what theirs was. But I'm not going to do that. But if you're behind on the whole New Year's resolution thing and you want to make some real resolutions and some real commitments in your life for Christ, uh, forget the whole New Year's part of it. I mean, that's not really what it's about anyway. It's about Christ. It's about us loving him. It's about us living for him. It's about us being committed to him and glorifying him with all that we do. So let's take a look at some of these. And number one there is to walk more carefully. That's there on your outline. Walk more carefully. Verse 15, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Paul's saying, walk wisely, walk carefully, walk cautiously, walk knowingly, live carefully, live wisely. Paul's saying, pay attention to where you're going and where you are walking in this life. It's a wise walk. And when we think about the word wise or, or the word wisdom in general, we first have to understand that it's more than just knowledge that we're talking about here. Being wise is the application of knowledge. It's what we do with what we know, right? And scripture tells us in the book of James that there's two different types of wisdoms out there. There's the wisdom that's of the world, and there's the wisdom that is from above. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 17 says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. This is the type of wisdom that Paul's talking about here in our text. It's the wisdom from above, and he's telling us that we need to walk in that type of wisdom. The word circumspectly there in verse 15, it means to walk carefully. It means to uh, be cautious. It means that we are to walk watchfully. Well, you ask, why does that matter? Well, here's why. If you look back in... Um, Chapter 5 there of Ephesians, you see verse 8, where he tells the Ephesians that they were once in darkness. And the darkness is life without Jesus Christ. And it's the life that we were all part of. It's a dark world. It's a lost world. It's a world full of dangers. Because it's a world where the majority is without Jesus Christ. And like I said, it's a world that we were all once part of. And if you're a believer here tonight, you have been rescued from that world. 
It's a world that 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4 tells us that Satan is the god of. And right now, as we speak, the devil is using all the resources of this current world system, and he is absolutely dedicated to our destruction. The devil and his demons, they're out to destroy you, they're out to destroy your children, they're out to destroy your families. If you look ahead there at verse 16, Paul tells us there at the end that the days are evil. There's a sense of urgency here in Paul's language because we do live in a world that is very evil. 1 John chapter 5, verse 19 says, And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. You know, we see Christians, if you turn on the news, we see Christians being massacred in other parts of the world today. In our own country, we see um, our own religious freedoms slowly slipping away. The other day I saw where a, a nine-year-old got suspended from school for simply saying Merry Christmas to the teacher. Uh, but these are all obvious types of evils. There are also less obvious ones. The pitfalls, the temptations, they're around every corner for the believer. Uh, we often face them each and every day. It's like a minefield of, of spiritual traps and snares out there. It's all around us. There's false teaching. There's false doctrines. There's the philosophies of man. There's sexual temptation. There's envy. There's peer pressure for the teenager to fit in and be just like everybody else in the world. And we could go on and on and on with this, but it truly is a dark world. It's an evil world. And it's a world that is constantly working against the believer. So Paul tells us that we must walk wisely as Christians in the midst of everything out there that's working against us. We are to walk wisely. We are to live carefully. We are to live cautiously. We have to pay close attention to the spiritual direction that we are going in. Um, as most of you know, I have two uh, wonderful children. Jolie, who is two, and Aiden, who is five. And there's really a big difference in the way that they walk, if you haven't noticed them out there running around. Uh, Aiden, being older, is usually more cautious when he walks. Uh, he watches for cars. He's pretty good about that. He watches his step. Uh, if we're walking on a trail or hiking somewhere, he understands that he needs to watch out for rocks and for snakes and other dangers that might be out there. Jolie, on the other hand, she pays no attention whatsoever to where she's going. She's very impulsive uh, in the way that she walks. She'll walk in front of traffic. She'll walk behind cars that are backing out. Uh, she'll wander around wherever she wants to go, wherever the wind may take her, with no thought about anything that's out there. Paul is saying, don't walk like Jolie. <laughs> walk knowingly. Walk carefully. And just a side note here, it's my responsibility as a parent to watch and pay attention to my children's walks. Just in the same way that I make sure Jelly doesn't go out here on the expressway and get hit by a car by grabbing her arm and jerking her back if I have to. We need to be monitoring our children's spiritual walks as well and grabbing their arms and jerking them back when we have to. The pastor, the, the youth minister, the Sunday school teachers, the deacons, maybe they have a Christian school teacher. They all may serve to assist us. They may be excellent resources for us. They may be extremely helpful to us. But we as parents are responsible for, for keeping that watchful eye on the walks of our children. Uh, as Paul said, the days are dark and the days are evil. And while we should be walking carefully in the midst of the world, I think that also we need to be walking carefully in front of the world as well. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward them that are without, 
redeeming the time. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. We need to live our lives in wisdom in front of those that are without, in front of the unbelievers. As believers, we need to understand that we are uh, we're being watched very carefully by an unbelieving world. The things that we do, the things that we say, the places that we go, uh, the things that we post, like, share on the internet, all these things say something about the Christian image that you are putting out there. At times it, it seems unfair that the world would judge the Christian faith and what it means to be a Christian, not by what Jesus Christ accomplished, but by what me and you do each and every day. We're not perfect people. We do and we are going to make mistakes and we're going to continue to sin as long as we're in this world. But Paul tells us that we can, we can walk more wisely when it comes to the things that we do and the things that we say in front of non-Christian people. Uh, I was thinking the other day, and and let me just ask you guys, of course you don't have to answer, but just think to yourself, have you ever thought about if maybe your current lifestyle, maybe the things that you do, the things you say, maybe the one thing that's keeping somebody from coming to our church, or maybe even coming back to our church, uh, even though I claim Christ, does my life look just like everybody else's around me? Because if it does, how is anybody ever going to see Christ in me? On the other hand, maybe somebody's looking at your life, and, and because of your faithful testimony, that person may come to our church, they may hear the gospel, and they may be saved from an eternity in hell. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. And the other side of that verse is when we do not let our light shine, and we do not let others see our good works, or if our works are anything other than good works, then we are basically robbing God of his deserved glory. And I know it's a lot of responsibility, but as Christians, these are the things that we have to consider. This is where our mindset has to be at, looking at everything as to how it may or it may not affect the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Our walk must agree with our claim. And if we claim Christ, then we must walk wisely in the world and not as fools. And we can do this by walking more carefully. Next, I think that uh, if we look at verse 16 there, I think that we can commit to walking more purposefully. Number two there. Verse 16, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So Paul tells the Ephesians here, and he tells us too, to redeem the time because once again the days are evil. As followers of Christ, we, our walks, they, they have to have purpose. We can't just be wandering around through life, just passing the time away, doing whatever. I mean, time, it, you know, it, it really goes by so fast, doesn't it? I'll be honest, I'm, I'm shocked that I'm going to be as old as I'm going to be this year. <laughs> it's shocking to me. I still feel like I, that I, I graduated from high school, just like recently. It goes by so fast. You know, I find it interesting that uh, here in the text it says, redeem the time. You see that? Redeem the time. And it may have double meaning here, meaning that uh, the time that we waste each and every day. But it most likely means the time that we have here on this earth. 
Notice how it, it doesn't just say time or sometime or even time in general here. It says the time. I think this is making reference to a set amount of time. This is the set amount of time that you and I have here on this earth that I believe the Lord has ordained for each and every one of us. And Paul is saying, don't waste it. Don't waste it. James tells us that our life's like vapors, here today, gone tomorrow. Chapter 4, verse 14. First Peter tells us to pass the time of our sojourning in fear. Chapter 1, verse 17. Job, in chapter 14, verse 14, makes reference to all of the days of his appointed time. The truth is, is that we have a set amount of time here. But the question is, what are we doing with the time that we have? Matthew Henry said that time is a talent given us by God, and it is misspent and lost when not employed according to his design. If we have lost our time heretofore, we must double our diligence for the future, of that time which thousands on a dying bed would gladly redeem at the price of the whole world. How little do men think, and to what trifles they daily sacrifice it. I don't know about you all, but when I look back at, at, at this life that I've lived so far, I realize that I've wasted a lot of time that should have been dedicated to the kingdom of Christ. And that saddens me. And it's something that I have sought forgiveness for as well. But it also motivates me. Because I want to make the second half of my life count. Not for me, but for Christ. For the lost, for my family, for my children, for my church family. For the students here. Are we redeeming the time? And I won't stand before you tonight and say that I have it all figured out because... Trust me, I don't. But I do know this. If you're living your life just for yourself, if you're living it for a boyfriend, if you're living it for a girlfriend, if you're living it just for a job or a career, if you're living it for anything less than Jesus Christ, you're wasting it. You're wasting it. And you may disagree with that, but I promise you one day you won't. In the book of Luke, Jesus tells us this parable in chapter 12. And if you're there, you can look at it. Verse 16, we'll start. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is an example of a wasted life. And so many people, and even those that claim to be Christians, are following this type of example today. Our walk must be driven by Christ as our motivation. And since none of us have a time machine or a a DeLorean to go back into time, we must redeem the time that we have left. Redeeming the time, it means to buy up, to buy up the opportunities that we have. Each day it brings open doors. It brings vast potential Uh, for us to take advantage of for the kingdom of Christ. Uh, Last week, maybe it was a week and a half ago, uh, Corey Jr. had a birthday party down at Chuck E. Cheese. 
And at the end, all the kids are, you know, they're out there and they're, they're counting their tickets and from the games and, and they're putting them in the ticket muncher and all that stuff. And they were taking them to redeem certain prizes there at the counter. Now, the tickets, they're not necessarily worth anything. They're cardboard, they're ripped up, they're bent, they got all kinds of little kids' germs on them. But that didn't matter because the kids knew what was on the other side of that prize counter. And they knew what they could get. And they knew what they could get by giving up what they had. And if we want to redeem the time, and we want to make the most of this Christian life, we're going to have to give up some stuff too. There's a cost involved. It's going to cost us our self-righteousness. It's going to cost us our sin. It's going to cost us our worldliness. It's going to cost us our pride. Which for a true believer, I mean, shouldn't we want to get rid of that stuff anyway? That should be nothing compared to the riches of Jesus Christ. Our time is only worth something when it's redeemed and it's lived for Christ. When it's all about us, it's wasted. It's funny because we got home from that birthday party the other day, and I emptied my pockets out on the counter and stuff, and my keys and change and all that stuff. And I still had a big wad of tickets in there that we forgot about. And when Aiden saw those, he said, Dad, I could have used those. I mean, he just totally just went crazy over those tickets. We know he's right. We could have. And, and, and one of these days, we're going to look back on this life that we've lived, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months, maybe even the years. Don't look back and say to our Heavenly Father, Dad, I could have used those. I could have used those for you. Don't let that be you and don't let that be me. Let's redeem the time and live this Christian life with purpose. And thirdly, I think that we can commit to walking more biblically. Walk more biblically. Verse 17. Wherefore, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He says, don't be unwise, don't be dumb about this, understand what the will of the Lord is. Well, what does that mean? What is the will of the Lord? Well, it's God's desire, it's God's purpose, it's God's intention, it's God's sovereignty. These are his eternal purposes on how he intends to be glorified. And how do you understand what the will is? How do you understand what the will is for you? Well, you find it in the Bible. It's found in his revealed word. Uh, I remember when I was young in my own youth group, and the other teens and I, we would always be curious about what God's will was for our life, and we would talk about it, and we would wonder about it, and we would say, you know, what, what's God going to have me do one day? Who's he going to have me date? Who's he going to have me marry? What kind of job am I going to have one day? Am I going to have to go to Africa and be a missionary? Uh, what would God have me do? What was his will for me? And God's will, as we understood it at the time... Uh, it was sort of mysterious to us in that way. And while God does have a, uh, an individual and, and specific plans and purposes for us all, we should never leapfrog over God's revealed will that we find in Scripture. Uh, because that's where you always have to start. You have to start there in Scripture because it's there. It's there in black and white revealed to us. For example, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 says that it's God's will that you be saved. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says it's God's will that you be sanctified. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says that it's God's will that we be thankful. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 15 says it's God's will that we live the type of lives that would silence foolish men. 
And there are so many more places right here in God's Word where we can find out and understand what God's will is. The problem is, is that you have to get in your Bible to find out what it is. And so many people, they just don't want to do that anymore. Uh, There was a poll, I read this poll by Lifeway Research that stated, over 2,000 Americans who read the Bible at least once a month found that only a third of them read it almost every single day, although the average reader owns 3.6 copies of the Bible. The website stated, we learned from the study among American Bible readers that owning multiple Bibles is much more prevalent than regularly investing the time to read it. You know, I'm of the personal belief that we should be in God's Word every day. And, and for me, you know, preferably that's in the morning. I guess you can, you can do it as much as you want, but for me it's in the morning. It sets the stage. It sets the tone of my heart. It sets the focus on Christ before I go out into the world and, and face all the garbage I'm going to have to face each and every day. And this isn't just good advice for, you know, something that the pastor should do or, or that the youth minister should do or that the deacon should do or that the, the super-duper Christian should do. I mean, this is good advice for all of us. Uh, if we have time to, and don't get mad at me, I'm talking to myself here, if we have time to, you know, watch multiple hours of TV every week and, and, and watch hours of sports and, and play video games until our, our thumbs cramp, then we have time to spend in God's Word every day. As a matter of fact, God's Word should take priority over all that stuff anyway. And as Christians, as God's children, shouldn't it at least be interesting to us? I mean, it shouldn't be like forcing your kids to eat broccoli, right? I hate broccoli. That's why I said that. I mean, there should be some desire there. Yes, I understand. It's not always easy. It takes discipline. Yes, there always, always are distractions. Yes, we're tired. I understand all that. I get that. But we have to make time to do it. Schedule it in. Schedule it in as you would any other appointment. Schedule it in like you would a doctor's appointment. It has to be a priority because there's this huge connection when it comes to an unwise walk and the lack of God's word in someone's life. Psalm 119.105 says that thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, God's word illuminates the path for us. It illuminates the dangers All that stuff that we were talking about earlier. It shows us the things that we couldn't see. The things that we weren't even able to see before. Um, The other night, I I woke up in the middle of the night. And for those of you who have kids my age and they have Legos, you'll understand this. But I woke up in the middle of the night and I was barefoot. And I got up out of bed. And I stepped on one of Aiden's Legos that he had laying around. And I'm telling you, I cannot tell you how excruciating that pain is to feel that. I mean, my foot hurt for three days after that. Well, why did this happen? Well, I could blame it on Aiden for leaving the Lego there. I could blame it on the absence of light in the room. Or the real reason is that I chose not to take advantage of the light that I had available to me. You see, light illuminates truth. And in this case, it would reveal to me the truth and position of that Lego, so I could have walked more carefully around it, right? So in order not to get tripped up by the Legos of this world, the Legos of sin and false teachings and not knowing God's will for our lives, we need to use the light of God's word so that we can recognize the dangers and cautiously avoid them. 
And we can only do this by walking biblically. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes, I will not forget thy word. Verse 67, Before I was afflicted I went astray, but now I have kept thy word. The psalmist spoke as if life itself depended on God's word. And the truth is, it does, right? So we must walk biblically in the world and understand what God's will is for our lives. And fourthly, I think we can commit to walking more spiritually. Walk more spiritually. Verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. It's interesting how Paul, he he somewhat abruptly uh, brings up the subject of drunkenness here at this point in the text. Two main reasons why, most likely. First, uh, getting drunk and that type of lifestyle was the old way that the Ephesians lived in. And he's, he's showing the contrast between the old life and the new life. Second reason, he uses the analogy of wine and drunkenness to show that while there is a great contrast between being drunk with wine and filled with the Spirit... There's also some similarities. For one, the influence that they both have over the person and the effect that they have on the individual's walk. So we must be filled uh, with the Spirit and be guided by the Spirit of God. And, and here are a couple ways, just real quick, just ways that we can do this. Um, we can confess and put away all known sin in our lives, like we read in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-9. through 9. We can yield ourselves completely to His control like we read in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Uh, we can make the word of Christ dwell in us richly, like we're told to do in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And also, we must be emptied of self, like Paul told the Galatians in chapter 2, verse 20. And in order to be filled with something, in order to be filled with one thing, something else has to be emptied, right? You've got to get something else empty before something else can be filled with it. Well, what is that something? Well, it's self. We have to empty self before we can ever be filled with the Spirit. Verse 19 in our text, the results of this being filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Notice there that there's this inward joy and outward praise that takes place in the heart of a believer when he's filled with the Spirit. I think one of the cooler things about being a Christian parent is um, hearing your kids sing songs that glorify Christ. Isn't that cool? I mean, that's just awesome. Uh, and often we'll be in the car and, and with the kids, and, and I'll put it on a, a kid's Bible song station that I have, and, and the next thing I know, we're heading down 101, and the, king, the kids are they're singing as loud as they can, and they're singing with such passion and joy, and you can't even understand the words sometimes that Jolie's saying, but you know it's coming from the heart, and they're singing, and I think, hey, you know what, I need to join in with them. I need to join in. And the next thing I know, I'm singing, and we're all singing in the car, going down 101, and, uh, and, and I'm blessed by that. I'm blessed by that. And I think that God is too. Uh, when you're truly living a life that's uh, filled with the Spirit, you can't contain it. You just can't. You want to talk about it. You want to share it. Praise and worship, it just comes out of you. We must live Spirit-filled lives. And, and a lot more could be, a lot more time could be spent to, on, on developing this, but let's move on. Uh, two more things. Number five, walk more thankfully. Walk more thankfully, verse 20. 
giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. This one is really easy to understand, but when it comes to the application part, it's tough. It's tough. Be thankful always and for all things. Be thankful always and for all things. Be thankful when? Always. Be thankful for what? All things. You say everything? Yes. Everything. But Jared, you don't understand. I got this going on and that going on. And listen, be thankful. But Jared, I'm, I'm going to lose my job. I've got stuff going on at my job. Be thankful. But Jared, I just found out that, that someone in my family, someone in my family is sick. Be thankful. Jared, I just found out that I'm sick. Be thankful. Look at it again. Giving thanks always and for all things. That's all things and it's at all times. And you may say, well, how can we even do that? How can we even do that? How can we be thankful in the midst of of what seems like some of the worst times? Well, here's how. Check this out. Here's the key. Look at the end of that verse. Unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, when you look at whatever life brings your way through the lens of Christ and what he did for you on the cross, the new life that you have in him, it completely changes your focus. It changes everything. Nothing else matters when it's held up against the backdrop of Christ's sacrifice on the cross for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 and 10. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong." So no matter what our lot is in this life, his grace is always sufficient. I once had this religion professor, and he was kind of out there, um, that would say to us that he knew we're Christians. He would say, well, as bad as life is, at least you're not going to hell. And he was sort of different like that. But for a believer, that's reason enough for us to be thankful, isn't it? So be thankful. Be thankful. And if it gets hard... If it gets hard to be thankful, remember Christ. Remember what he did for you. Always look at life and what Christ did for you. So let's walk more thankfully this year. And lastly, I think we can commit to walk more submissively this year. Verse 21. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Paul is saying, be subject one to another. Be submissive to each other in the fear of God. The fear of God, the awesomeness of God, our reverence for Christ should be the, uh, the motivation here when it comes to our subjection. Just as Christians, uh, we learn to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, to do his will, to do what he says, to follow his ways. So Christians are reminded that God's order has also made us subject one to another. And I know this isn't easy to do, but we can, and it's only possible when a Christian learns how to consider others better than we do ourselves. 
Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What could this year look like for you, for me, for our families, for our children, for our church? If we esteem, if we really get serious about esteeming each other better than we do ourselves. So let's walk more submissively this year. Let's walk more thankfully this year. Let's walk more spiritually this year. Let's walk more biblically this year. Let's walk more purposefully this year. And let's walk more carefully this year. And to wrap all that up, let's walk more wisely. Let's walk more wisely this year. J.C. Ryle said, and I absolutely love this quote. J.C. Ryle said, Let your Christianity be so unmistakable and your walk so straightforward that all who see you may have no doubt whose you are and whom you serve. So to wrap this up, pay attention to your walk. Be resolved to be more responsive to God's word. Give yourself over to control of the Holy Spirit and allow him to form you. Allow him to make you an instrument of of praise and, and worship and thanksgiving to our great God who loved us so much that he died for us on a cross. And if you're here tonight and you've never believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe you've been coming here for a while, but you never believed. You don't call him Savior. You don't call him Lord. You'll notice that most of this was for believers tonight. But there's one part of all this that's very important for you to know tonight, and that was the part we talked about understanding God's will, that part. And there's one part that's specifically for you. And it's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, where Paul writes to Timothy and says that it's God's will that you be saved, not specifically to Timothy, but to all men, and to understand what is really true. And if you leave this life without being saved from your sins, you're going to spend eternity in punishment in a terrible place called hell. If the Holy Spirit has convinced you tonight of your sin, I plead with you to believe in him, to repent and turn from those sins. He will forgive you of those sins if you put your faith and trust in him. And it's my prayer to all the rest of us that you all and us as a church that we would have a great new year, uh, a year full of glorifying Christ with the lives that we live, a year full of uh, seeing others come to Christ for the first time as well. I'm excited. I'm excited to see what this year is going to bring for all of our lives. Let's make it a year to walk wisely and to glorify Jesus Christ in everything that we do here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for, once again, the opportunity to be in your, your house, to get into your word. Uh, we just thank you so much for it. Help us to, to just really be committed to our walks and the way that we live and walking wisely in this coming year. But not just this year, but, but, but the rest of our lives, Lord. Uh, be with us. Help us to have a great week. Uh, help us to all come back here safely. We pray for Brother Dalton. Pray for, pray for the pastor. And uh, we just pray that the name of Jesus Christ will be glorified in all that we do. We ask all this in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.